Good day. It's Bill here. It is June 9th, day 159 of our journey through the message paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. Today we're going to continue in the book of 1 Kings and we're going to read chapters 4 to 6. After that, we're going to read Psalm 78. We started that psalm yesterday. Today we're going to finish it, so we'll do Psalm 78, verses 40 to 72. So today, let's get right into it. The book of 1 Kings, chapter 4. King Solomon was off to a good start, ruling Israel. These were the leaders in his government. Azariah, son of Zadok, was the priest. Elahoreph and Ahijah, sons of Shisha, were secretaries. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahulud, historian. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, commander of the army. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. Azariah, son of Nathan, in charge of the regional managers. Zabud, son of Nathan, priest and friend to the king. Ahishar, manager of the palace. Adonoram, of Abda, manager of the slave labor. Solomon had 12 regional managers distributed throughout Israel. They were responsible for supplying provisions for the king and his administration. Each was in charge of bringing supplies for one month of the year. These are the names. Ben-Hur in the Ephraim Hills, Ben-Decker in Makaz, Shalbim, Beth Shemesh, and Elon Bethanan, Ben-Hesed in Aruboth, this included Soko and all of Hefer, Ben-Abinadab in Naphoth-Der, he was married to Solomon's daughter Tephath, Beana, son of Ahilud in Tanakh and Megiddo, all of Bethshan next to Zerathan below Jezreel, and from Bethshan to Abel-Meholah over to Jokmium. Ben-Geber in Ramath-Gilead, this included the villages of Jair, son of Manasseh, in Gilead, and the region of Argob in Bashan, with its sixty large walled cities with bronze-studded gates. Ahinadab, son of Edo, in Mahanaim. Ahimaz, in Naphtali, he was married to Solomon's daughter Besamath. Bana, son of Hushai, in Asher and Aloth. Jehoshaphat, son of Parua, in Issachar. Shimei, son of Elah, in Benjamin. Geber, son of Uri, in Gilead. This was the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and also of Og, king of Bashan. He managed the whole district by himself. Judah and Israel were densely populated, like sand on an ocean beach. All their needs were met. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon was sovereign over all the kingdoms from the river Euphrates in the east to the country of the Philistines in the west, all the way to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and were vassals of Solomon all his life. One day's food supply for Solomon's household was 185 bushels of fine flour, 375 bushels of meal, 10 grain-fed cattle, 20 range cattle, 100 sheep, and miscellaneous deer, gazelles, roebucks, and choice, choice fowl. Solomon was sovereign over everything, countries and kings, west of the river Euphrates from Tipsa to Gaza or Gaza. Peace reigned everywhere. Throughout Solomon's life, everyone in Israel and Judah lived safe and sound, all of them from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, content with what they had. Solomon had 40,000 stalls for chariot horses and 12,000 horsemen. The district managers, each according to assigned 
his assigned month, delivered food supplies for King Solomon and all who sat at the king's table. There was always plenty. They also brought to the designated place their assigned quota of barley and straw for the horses. God gave Solomon wisdom, the deepest of understanding, and the largest of hearts. There was nothing beyond him, nothing he couldn't handle. Solomon's wisdom outclassed the vaunted wisdom of wise men of the East, outshone the famous wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, wiser than Calcol and Darda, the sons of Mahal. He became famous among all the surrounding nations. He created 3,000 proverbs. His songs added up to 1,005. He knew all about plants, from the huge cedar that grows in Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows in the cracks of a wall. He understood everything about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Sent by kings from all over the earth who had heard of his reputation, people came from far and near to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 5 Hiram, king of Tyre, sent ambassadors to Solomon when he heard that he had been crowned king in David's place. Hiram had loved David his whole life. Solomon responded, saying, You know that David my father was not able to build a temple in honor of God because of the wars he had to fight on all sides, until God finally put them down. But now God has provided peace all around, no one against us, nothing at odds with us. Now here is what I want to do, build a temple in honor of God, my God, following the promise that God gave to David my father. Namely, your son, whom I will provide to succeed you as king, he will build a house in my honor. And here is how you can help. Give orders for cedars to be cut from the Lebanon forest. My loggers will work alongside yours, and I'll pay your men whatever wage you set. We both know that there is no one like you Sidonians for cutting timber. When Hiram got to Solomon's message, he was delighted, exclaiming, Blessed be God for giving David such a wise son to rule this flourishing people. Then he sent this message to Solomon. I received your request for the cedars and cypresses. It's as good as done. Your wish is my command. My lumberjacks will haul the timbers from the Lebanon forest to the sea, assemble them into log rafts, float them to the place you set, then have them disassembled for you to haul away. All I want from you is that you feed my crew. In this way, Hiram supplied all the cedar and cypress timber that Solomon wanted. In his turn, Solomon gave Hiram 125,000 bushels of wheat and 115,000 gallons of virgin olive oil. He did this every year, and God, for his part, gave Solomon wisdom, just as he had promised. The healthy peace between Hiram and Solomon was formalized by a treaty. King Solomon raised a workforce of 30,000 men from all over Israel. He sent them in shifts of 10,000 each month to the Lebanon forest. They would work a month in Lebanon and then be home at home two months. Adoniram was in charge of the work crew. Solomon also had 70,000 unskilled workers and another 80,000 stonecutters up in the hills, plus 3,300 foremen managing the project and supervising the work crews. Following the king's orders, they quarried huge blocks of the best stone, dressed stone for the foundation of the temple. Solomon and Hiram's construction workers, assisted by the men of Gebal, cut and prepared the timber and stone for building the temple. 1 Kings chapter 6 
486 years after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's rule over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, Solomon started building the temple of God. The temple that King Solomon built to God was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. There was a porch across the 30-foot width of the temple that extended out 15 feet. Within the temple, he made narrow, deep-silled windows. Against the outside walls, he built a supporting structure in which there were smaller rooms. The lower floor was seven and a half feet wide, the middle floor nine feet, and the third floor ten and a half feet. He had projecting ledges built into the outside temple walls to support the buttressing beams. The stone blocks for the building of the temple were all dressed at the quarry so that the building site itself was reverently quiet. No noise from hammers and chisels and other iron tools. The entrance to the ground floor was at the south end of the temple. Stairs led to the second floor and then to the third. Solomon built and completed the temple, finishing it off with roof beams and planks of cedar. The supporting structure along the outside walls was attached to the temple with cedar beams, and the rooms in it were seven and a half feet tall. The word of God came to Solomon, saying, About this temple you are building, what's important is that you live the way I've set out for you and do what I tell you, following my instructions carefully and obediently. Then I'll complete in you the promise I made to David your father. I'll personally take up my residence among the Israelites. I won't desert my people Israel. Solomon built and completed the temple. He paneled the interior walls from floor to ceiling with cedar cedar planks. For flooring, he used cypress. The 30 feet at the rear of the temple, he made into an inner sanctuary, cedar planks from floor to ceiling, the Holy of Holies. The main sanctuary area in front was 60 feet long. The entire interior of the temple was cedar, with carvings of fruits and flowers, all cedar. None of the stone was exposed. The inner sanctuary within the temple was for housing the chest of the covenant of God. This inner sanctuary was a cube, 30 feet each way, all plated with gold. The altar of cedar was also gold-plated. Everywhere you looked, there was pure gold, gold chains strung in front of the gold-plated inner sanctuary, gold everywhere, walls, ceiling, floor, and altar, dazzling. Then he made two cherubim, gigantic angel-like figures from olive wood. Each was 15 feet tall. The outstretched wings of the cherubim, they were identical in size and shape, measured another 15 feet. He placed the two cherubim, their wings spread in the inner sanctuary. The combined wing spread stretched the width of the room. The wing of one cherubim touched one wall, the wing of the other, the other wall. And the wings touched in the middle. The cherubim were gold-plated. He then carved engravings of cherubim, palm trees, and flower blossoms on all the walls of both the inner and the main sanctuary, and all the floors of both inner and outer rooms were gold-plated. He constructed doors of olive wood for the entrance to the inner sanctuary. The lintel and doorposts were five-sided. The doors were also carved with cherubim, palm trees, and flowers, and then covered with gold leaf. Similarly, he built the entrance to the main sanctuary using olive wood for the doorposts, but these doorposts were four-sided. The doors were of cypress, split in two panels, each panel swinging separately. These also were carved with cherubim, palm trees, and flowers, and plated with finely hammered gold leaf. 
He built the inner court with three courses of dressed stones topped with a course of plain cedar timbers. The foundation for God's temple was laid in the fourth year in the month of Ziv. It was completed in the eleventh year in the month of Bul, the eighth month, down to the last detail just as planned. It took Solomon seven years to build it. Psalm chapter 78 verses 40 to 72. He knew what they were made of. He knew there wasn't much to them. How often in the desert they had spurned him, tried his patience in those wilderness years. Time and again they pushed him to the limit, provoked Israel's holy God. How quickly they'd forgot what he'd done. Forgot their day of rescue from the enemy when he did miracles in Egypt, wonders on the plain of Zoan. He turned the river and its streams to blood, not a drop of water fit to drink. He sent flies which ate them alive and frogs which bedeviled them. He turned their harvest over to caterpillars, everything they had worked for to the locusts. He flattened their grape vines with hail, a killing frost ruined their orchards. He pounded their cattle with hail, let thunderbolts loose on their herds. His anger flared, a wild firestorm of havoc, an advance guard of disease-carrying angels to clear the ground, preparing the way before him. He didn't spare those people. He let the plague rage through their lives. He killed all the Egyptian firstborns, lusty infants, offspring of Ham's virility. Then he led his people out like sheep, took his flock safely through the wilderness. He took good care of them. They had nothing to fear. The the sea took care of their enemies for good. He brought them into his holy land, this mountain he claimed for his own. He scattered everyone who got in their way. He staked out an inheritance for them. The tribes of Israel all had their own places. But they kept on giving him a hard time, rebelled against God, the high God, refused to do anything he told them. They were worse, if that's possible, than their parents, traitors, crooked as corkscrew. Their pagan orgies provoked God's anger. Their obscene idolatries broke his heart. When God heard their carryings on, he was furious. He posted a huge no over Israel. He walked off and left Shiloh empty, abandoned the shrine where he had met with Israel. He let his pride and joy go to the dogs, turned his back on the pride of his life. He turned them loose on fields of battle. Angry, he let them fend for themselves. Their young men went to war and never came back. Their young women waited in vain. Their priests were massacred, and their widows never shed a tear. Suddenly the Lord was up on his feet, like someone roused from a deep sleep, shouting like a drunken warrior. He hit his enemies hard, sent them running, yelping, not daring to look back. He disqualified Joseph as leader, told Ephraim he didn't have what it takes, and chose the tribe of Judah instead, Mount Zion, which he loves so much. He built his sanctuary there, resplendent, solid, and lasting as the earth itself. Then he chose David, his servant, hand-picked him from his work in the sheep pens. One day he was caring for the ewes and their lambs. The next day God had him shepherding Jacob, his people Israel, his prized possession. His good heart made him a good shepherd. He guided the people wisely and well.
In 1 Kings chapter 4, we hear about God giving Solomon wisdom, wisdom that was greater than the wisdom of all the men in the East. Remember the three wise men that came from the East to visit Jesus as a child? The Bible describes two types of wisdom, worldly wisdom and wisdom that comes from God. The Apostle James says that the wisdom of the world tries to ignore God and the lines he has drawn between right and wrong. People who depend upon this worldly type of wisdom tend to cultivate a type of ambition that is self-destructive. According to James, the wisdom of God, when used properly, cultivates peaceful relationships. The type of wisdom God gives takes into account the interests of others. It is characterized by sincerity. The wisdom of God helps people become more objective in their decision-making. For generations, scholars have relied on worldly wisdom and knowledge to disprove God. British trial lawyer Frank Morrison intended to write a book disproving the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He conducted intensive research, gathered historical evidence, and worked devotedly at his task. Finally, his intellect and work brought him to the unavoidable conclusion that Jesus had risen from the dead. He became a Christian. Wisdom from God was the type that Solomon had asked for and received. The wisdom described in chapter 4 enabled Solomon to ask probing questions and make knowledgeable decisions. This is the type of wisdom available to anyone who simply asks God for it. Thanks for joining me again today on Bible in a Year with Bill. This year we are making our way through the message paraphrase written by Eugene Peterson. Man, we are closing in on the halfway point of this journey through the Bible. We've covered a lot, but there's still a lot to go. Hope to see you again. Take care now.